uh, the book of Psalm 100. I want to read that one briefly, and then we will go back to where we were last time, talking about um, what salvation is. Last time I began to talk about this is what salvation is. I want to explain what salvation is, what God planned for us uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today I want us to start from the book of Psalms, Psalm 100. Please open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Now we are going to read it, read this, read the whole psalm. And then after reading it, I want to explain something first. And it's so beautiful because there are two things inside this psalm that I need to explain um, two different things. Actually, I wanted to say there's something I want to say first is found in this psalm. And then I'm going to go on to something else. That's what we're talking about before. Both of them are in this psalm. So please allow us to read this Psalm 100 together. All right? They just listen to me read. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. Now, this is what I wanted to notice. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Let me read that verse again. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations. Again, I'd like to read that verse 5 again. For the Lord is good. Now, this is Psalms we are reading. He said, the Lord is good. His loving kindness or mercy is everlasting. And his faithfulness endures to all generations. Now, why did I read this? Now, please just give me a moment before I get back into the main thing that we were saying, that we began to teach about last time on what salvation is. Just give me a moment. I want to just take a few minutes, explain a particular principle, correct a wrong conception in the minds of people so that they can understand God properly. What I'm trying to correct is people often explain God as being different in the Old Testament, using their words, and then the God in the New Testament is a different God. Now, when they read the Bible, they will tell you God in the Old Testament used to behave like this. And in the New Testament, he behaves like this. You know what I found out? Now, just by the way, I think I used to say things like that many years ago. Not as a preacher, maybe when I was a young student. I want to just take a moment and explain to people that it's not really true. The Bible says clearly, he's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He's the one that, that was, <laughs> the one that was and is, and is to come. He says with him there is no variableness. Or any shadow of turning. I've given two different scriptures now to show that God does not change. I hope you're getting my point. He said, from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. This, that statement is deep. From the from eternal past into the eternal future, he is God. Listen to me, he has never changed. He has never changed. Please drop that theology. That God used to behave one way in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, he behaves differently. What do they mean by that? In the Old Testament, you hear things like, God of the Old Testament is a judgmental God. 
But the God of the New Testament is what? A merciful God and a loving God. This is Psalm 100. He said, For the Lord is good, and his mercy is what? Everlasting. It's not new. God has always been merciful. God has always been merciful. This concept that under the Old Testament he used to punish people, under the New Testament he doesn't, is a lie. That's the only way I can say that. You don't, you know, many people don't read the Bible. They don't. I was still really watching somebody on YouTube today explaining a particular principle. I just pissed it off. Was it yesterday night, my wife and I? I just, I just got angry. Tossed my phone down. I said, what is this guy saying? Trying to explain to me that, you know, some people are inside the church and God is dealing with them like that because they are not Christians. I said, Paul had time to write to people who are not Christians inside the church. Which Paul? They say, Ananias uh, and Sapphira were not Christians. I heard things like that. That's why they died. Because the God of the New Testament never kills his children. <laughs> Please, oh, let's get this straight. Oh. Let's not misjudge this God. Oh. He has been the same forever. I, heard, you know, I was hearing things like, um, people like this are not Christians. That's why the Bible speaks about them like that. I said, wait, 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 excuse me. Did you not hear that Simon the sorcerer also believed? It's not written in your Bible clearly like that. Many people don't read it. They just assume. And that because he was not a true Christian, that's why Peter challenged him the way he did. The Bible says he, was, he also believed and he was baptized. And he continued with Philip. But Peter came and rebuked him concerning something. Basically, the man was still in the goal of bitterness. Something in him, what his father used to say against him those days, hadn't left him. The fact that you have been baptized doesn't mean that some things will not try to hold on to you. You have a responsibility, like Paul said, to now work out your salvation with fear and with what? Trembling. Talking about fear, good. Some people say you don't fear God. I was listening to, listening to I read it in his book, John Bevere, describing the worst experience of his ministry life. That he went somewhere to preach. He had preached the first day, the second day. The second day he taught on the fear of God. The next day he came back to church. Before they called him up, the pastor spent about 45 minutes telling the people there's nothing like fear. You don't need to fear God. Before calling him up to preach. He tore down everything he preached the day before. And said to them, there is no fear in love. And perfect love casts out fear. Any love that casts out the fear of God in your life is sending you to eternal damnation. People take things out of context. Nothing ever casts out the fear of God. I like what John Bevere said. He said, you perfect holiness not in the love of God, but in the fear of God. Is that not in your Bible? Submit to one another in the fear of Christ. <laughs> Why don't you read it? I took time out yesterday. I began to look at different references, including Jesus said you should fear him that can kill the flesh and afterwards send the soul into hell. Jesus said what? Fear him. He was talking about God the Father. Anybody that tells you you don't need to fear God is deceiving you. Anybody that says, listen, when the Bible says perfect love casts out fear, you must understand the fear is talking about. It came to deliver those who were held in bondage all their lives for, by the fear of what? Death. You must have no fear of death. But the fear of God must be in you and it must not ever waver. Let's bear that in mind. 
The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New. He did not change one bit. People said that uh, ever since Jesus came, the, the punishment for sins was put on Jesus Christ, so God does not punish people again. I said, which Bible did you read? Which Bible did you read? Because from time, God has always accepted sacrifices for sin, and for that reason, he will suspend judgment. Now, along this line, I think God will allow us, I believe, to explain this in details, in some details. We're talking about what salvation is. Under the old order, Jesus was already dying, listen to me, for the sins of people. You say, what are you talking about? The Bible calls him the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus died for the sin of Abraham. Jesus died for the sin of Adam. He died for the sin of Eve. He died for the sin of Joseph. He died for the sin of Jacob. He died for the sin of Isaiah. He died for the sin of the people that lived that time before the physical Jesus was born. What just happened was that because Jesus had not come physically, the consummation, the Bible calls it, of the ages had not happened. So God said, this is what you do. You will take a lamb. You will take a bull. You will take a heifer. Different animals. You will shed its blood. Anyone that shed the blood of those animals, according to the commandment of God for his own sins, was accepting the sacrifice of Jesus. By the time you, you, they offer a lamb, for your sins, a sin offering, a trespass offering. What was happening was that Jesus was going to pay for that. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away the sin. So what did they do? They shed the blood of bulls and goats like an IOU. You know the call IOU? A promissory note that, okay, I will pay. So Jesus was giving out the goats, the lambs, the heifers, all those things, saying, I will pay, I will pay. I will pay. So everybody that shed the blood of those animals was shedding that in anticipation of what Jesus would do. What am I going to say? Mercy was available that time. Mercy did not become available because Jesus came. No. And you will see, it's not in your Bible. You know, because people give this impression that God that before was not, was not merciful. He was always merciful. Ahab sinned and sinned. And God said, I'm going to judge him severely. He went home and cried. And God said, hey, look at how Ahab has humbled himself before me. And he forgave him. Nineveh sinned. You must understand the sin of Nineveh was not a sin of one year. It was a sin of generations. And it was time for judgment. And they all declared repentance, fasting, praying, humbling themselves before the Lord. Do you know what happened? He forgave them. Who told you there was no forgiveness that time? Abimelech took Abraham's wife. And God came to him by himself at night. The man thought he was dreaming. It was not a dream. It was what the Bible calls a vision of the night. God said, you're a dead man. Abimelech said, what? For what? He said, you took a prophet's wife. He said, "Uh -uh, you were there now. He was the one that said, She's my sister, not my wife. You know I would normally wouldn't do it. God said, I know. Now, I'm talking about the mercy of God. He said, that's why I have come to tell you. He was merciful. He said, now restore the man's wife. You will take a sacrifice. You will go to him. He will pray for you. He showed him mercy. Who was saying God was not merciful those days? Did they not sin? 
And God said, I will destroy them. And Moses stood and said, the Lord, the Lord God, abundant in loving kindness. Please, I hope I get my point here. He has always been merciful. This is the second side. He has always been a just judge and is still a judge till today. The blood of Jesus did not stop his judgments. Don't lie. It did not. I've told you, the blood of Jesus, you must understand, this is how it was. Now, <laughs> I just want to say this like, you know, just as an illustration. When Jesus stretched his hands out, his arms out on the cross, you know what he was saying? I'm paying for the sins of before and the sins of after. I hope you're getting my point. When he stretched forth his hands like this, he took the sins as far back as that of Adam. The disobedience in the garden, he paid for it that day. When he stretched forth this way, he said, listen, as far as this world exists, anyone who will believe right now, I'm paying for his or her sins. So he stretched his hands, both of them out, to collect all the sins. So what did John say? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. Please, I want to talk about his judgment. So just as he was merciful before, and some people, because of lack of repentance, because of lack of offering the right sacrifices, you must understand, the sacrifice of God was not animals. It has never been. The sacrifice of God has never been the bulls and the goats. He said the sacrifice of God has always been a contrite spirit, a broken heart. It has always been a broken heart, a contrite spirit. That has always been the sacrifice of God. It wasn't new. So he told the people of Israel, what's all this trampling of my courts? What's all these animal sacrifices? That's why God said, David said, if, you were, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. The people were not walking in righteousness. There was no repentance. They were bringing animal sacrifices. So God said, take them away. I'm tired of your offerings. What am I going to say? Under the Old Testament, what we, okay, let me use the proper word. Under the former times, because it's not just the Old Covenant was what he made with Israel. But before Israel, there were covenants, there were sacrifices. So under the former times, he only accepted those sacrifices from those who were repentant. That is, Abimelech could not keep Abraham's wife and send him a goat. And send God a goat. Say, Sarah, stay here, stay here. Let's sacrifice a heifer to the Lord. Let us sacrifice a lamb. Let's give him a bull. No. Sarah had to go back. He had to apologize to Abraham. Then God will accept the sacrifice from his hands. Those who didn't do that those days were judged. Now listen to me. Those who will not do it now will still be judged. That's where my message is going. That's where the message is going. I heard the preacher say something once. After a while, I stopped listening to him. He said, I used to say that if God does not judge America, he has to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, now I realize it's not true. That if God judges America, he will apologize to Jesus Christ. Why? He said, because Jesus has paid for the sins. I said, what a joke. Are you aware that Jerusalem was destroyed 40 years after Jesus was sacrificed? And you know what Jesus said? It will be 
Now listen to me. He said it will be for the sins that were committed. The blood of the prophets that that was shed from Abel. From the very beginning. Until the last one they killed before his time. Said that of Zechariah. Who he said perished between the porch and the altar. They killed the man inside the temple. He said, all of it will come upon this generation. He said, but for it to happen, I will give them more prophets to kill. Listen, Jerusalem was destroyed for killing Jesus Christ. Even though he was paying for the sins of the whole world. And he pronounced the judgment. Please listen to me. He by himself pronounced the judgment. We're having the discussion the other day. People say, hey, you know, God, Newton is the God of mercy. It's time of Jesus. I said, do you listen to that Jesus Christ? They, you know, because you see, Jesus saw a woman that was in adultery. He said, neither do I condemn you. He never condemned anybody. I said, you didn't read your Bible. Why do you just assume things? That Jesus condemned many. Woe to Chorazin. Woe to Bethsaida. What is that? Condemnation. Thank you. They were beating him. He said, and women were crying. Yeah, yeah. He said, ah. He said, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves and for your children. <laughs> he said, you think you have seen anything? If they can do this to the wet tree, what would they do when the tree is dry? He said, you guys, get ready. He told his own followers. He said, a day of judgment is coming. This is how you will escape. He gave it to them. And he told them why. He said, listen, it was because you did not know the time of your visitation. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I wanted to gather you. Like a hen gathers her chicks. He said, but you will not have it. You won't have it so. He said, now your house is left to you desolate. Even though he died, Jerusalem was wiped out in AD 70. About 40 years after he died for the sins of the whole world. Till now. If you don't repent, you will perish. The soul that sins, it shall die. It's like that till today. Till today. There's no new God. You know, there was something John Bevere said when I was reading that book. He said they worshipped God in the image of the created. You understand? God said they made, a, they made an image of a creature. Rather than, of course, instead of worshipping the, the creator, they were worshipping a, a creature. You understand my point? Now, he said something which I had never thought about before. He said, so what human beings now do, they now create their own image. Physically now, we don't create images. He said, but we now have an image of God in our mind, which he did not say about himself. For example, we say something like, a loving God will never send anybody to hell. When did he say it? I don't know whether you're getting my point. When did he say it? We just by ourselves assume that if you are loving, you won't send anybody to hell. It's our assumption. He never said it. He said clearly he will cast people out into outer darkness where there is weeping and what? Gnashing of teeth. He said it clearly. Depart and go into the eternal fire that was created for the devil and his angels. And he was going to put people who rejected him inside. You know, we sat down and created a loving God. They will not create one that if you ever answer an altar call, if you like Deny that God, Jesus will never deny you. You know we said that. We'll call it what? Once saved, 
always saved. You know, the other day I was reading my Bible. And Paul said something. I said, do people read their Bibles? I just want them just refer to it quickly. Paul said something. It's so striking. Those who make some statements, I don't know which Bible they read. Paul's writing to Timothy, actually. You know, he said this. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, what will happen? He will also deny us. Second Timothy chapter 2. Kind of verse 12. Ha, I said, wait. Which Bible do my brethren read? He said, if you deny him, he will also deny you. So, I don't understand why you tell me that. Even if you were to deny him, your salvation is intact. I don't know the... Listen, you are from Pluto, I'm from Neptune. We definitely are not both from this, this earth. Because your way of reasoning, I don't get it. Sometimes what we do is we create our own image of God. The one I've used as an illustration once, we're talking, they said, look, you, you must have an intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It was a rainy thing when I was on campus. You have a fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You're very friendly and intimate with God. Amen. Praise God. Then one day I heard my friends talking. They said, ah, that's sister. Assuming the sister's name is, give me a name, Eve, Sister Eve. She said, Sister Eve has such a close fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Then one day she said, the Holy Spirit told her to do something. And she said, ah, Holy Spirit, how can you tempt to do that kind of a thing? Me, I can't too. And they said, oh, she has such a close fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I said, all of you have gone insane. Do you understand my point? <laughs> Father, may I not have that kind of fellowship with you in eternity? That I will be bold enough to ask you, how can you? Sorry, I can't. Lord, don't grant me that boldness. Don't grant me that boldness. Let me tremble before you. Let me fear before you. Let me bow at your presence. What fellowship do you want to have more than the 24 elders? I hope you're getting my point. People who cast down their crowns, bow down every day and shout holy, holy, holy. You want to have more fellowship than that? You think, you see, we created earthly fellowship. One day I was talking to someone and said, ah, I didn't agree with that thing you said though. Me, if I see the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to hug him, I'm going to kiss him. I said, you must think he's your husband. That's why you're talking like this. Go and ask John, who used to lie in his bosom when he was on this earth. John saw him, he said, I fell at his feet like one dead. What foundation are you looking for? You think, listen, <laughs> some of these experiences on this earth, they don't do it in eternity. <laughs> because we created, a, we created our own image of God. So people have no respect for him. They say because under the New Testament, you don't fear God, you love God. Because let me tell you what they call love. If a man loves me, he will keep my word. I'm not, if a man loves me, don't hug me. If a man loves me, don't come and tell him, Lord, I have missed you. I did not go anywhere. If you ever miss me, you were the one that traveled. And the only way you can travel away from my presence is your sin. Because if you were not in sin, no matter where you go, I am there. The only thing that separates you and me is your iniquity. So don't come and tell me, God, I traveled. How are you? I really missed you. You know, we create an image of God. Think he's, the, he's your boyfriend. How have you been feeling, God? We don't know why we started doing things like that. Like one woman, they said she was prophesying. <laughs> said, my children, my children, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And if you are afraid, I don't blame you. I get scared myself too. 
Holy Spirit says, I guess, guess, sometimes myself too. And they call it prophecy. Because they created a wrong impression, a, a wrong form of God. Please, what I said I wanted to discuss briefly. It's brief, not, it's not my main message. Please, drop that theology from your mind. The God of the former times is the same God as this time. What changed? And let me just quickly drop that. This is what salvation is. I think I'm getting to my message now. What changed? What changed was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of offering for sin, because, you see, the offering for sin has always been there. That even before he came, his offering was already counting. How was it counting? The blood of bulls and goats. They couldn't ever take away sins. So if you ever forgiven, it was because Jesus was coming to pay. Please, I hope you're getting my point. The sacrifices offered year by year were being offered so that Jesus would come one day and clear the debt. He was going to be the one to pay. What was different is this. When Jesus came, he said, the law came by Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means beforehand. This is my best example. You know, in former times, listen to this. You know the interesting part? Let me just drop this quickly. God was even more, more, more now. Sorry, as a quote, just in quote, in quote. God was even more merciful that time than he is now. Why? Because he saw there was ignorance, so he overlooked many things. But now he commands that everybody should repent. If you're talking about mercy, he was more merciful because he said, he's mindful that they have bought flesh. So a man like um, uh, David, we marry so many wives. I don't know the number of wives David had. But the one I quote all the time, which I know for sure, is that he had at least 12 wives at a time. Why? That was based on, you know, average. I'm just doing some averages, all right? His first six sons were born by six different women. So let us assume that it's a game of chance. You can have a boy or have a girl. So his first 12 children were probably born by 12 different women. Because the first, that, the Bible gives us that one. The first six were born by six totally different women. I suspect 12 were pregnant. Is that not common sense? Okay, let's even, don't argue with me. Let's admit it now, only six. Let's not even count that, old, that girl he married in the old age. Abishag. Alright? The one that was supposed to keep him warm. And like I said, you know why they did have to keep him warm? You can quote me on this one. Because they, she represented the women that took away all his strength. At the age of 70, Egmont was tired. Ask Caleb. At the age of 70, he was still leading jogging. Oh, yeah, everybody. Lip eye. Lip eye. That's what Caleb was doing at 70. He was teaching boys how to fight. At the age of 70, David was. He said, no, don't come back to battle. Let the, the light of Israel be quenched. At the age of 70. What does that tell you? 20 women are dangerous. You can't marry 20 women and still be fighting at 70. It's not possible. You fight at home, fight in the palace, fight in your bedroom. There's no strength to go to battle. <laughs> so they now took one of the women and said, wait, wait, wait. You people took his strength. Abby, you go and give him back. So they took one girl. Said, oh, he was so weak, he couldn't warm himself. So they said, let's get him heat generator. And they carry one girl, give him. Say, your job is to 
just lie with Oga and keep him warm. I said, they knew his medicine. And this time when David was too tired, he didn't even notice the girl. You see where I'm going? That was David, a man after what? God's heart. But you know when Jesus came, he said, in the beginning, it was not so. David made it clear. And Jesus made it clear. See that thing you saw in the life of David? It was not like that. Too. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus. So you know what happened? Paul now wrote, a deacon must be a man of one woman. I don't care how much you love the Lord. If you have more than one woman in your life, and for your information, I'm quoting the literal Greek. It did not say husband of one wife. He said a man of one woman. So what are you saying? Because some people will marry one wife and have two concubines. <laughs> and say, I'm only a husband of one wife. The Bible didn't say so. He said, you must be a man of what? One woman. So if you have one wife, you can't have a concubine. And for your information, it's not natural. That law is not natural. Solomon said, I gathered for myself the pleasures of all men. Many concubines. But grace came. Grace was poured into the heart of every man that will believe in Jesus. So Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, David, but go and do what? Sin no more. So once you marry one wife, that's the end of it. I hope you're getting my point here. The point is that under the new order, what is now different, is what I'm going to explain, is that the law came by Moses. Grace and truth. So when Jesus came, he poured grace what is grace? It is not the cover for our sins. Grace is the ability not to disobey. Beforehand, we will disobey. No matter how much we try. There was too much power of the flesh in us. But now grace became what? Freely available. For information, even the old former times, some people tapped into grace. Ah, listen. From time, people were saved by grace, by faith. When it says that, the just shall live by faith. It was quoting from the old covenant. Don't think it's something that's new. It's just that now, that faith is now the only order that is acceptable. Why? Because Jesus has made grace abundant. Listen to me. Grace is, you know what grace means? Grace means you have no excuse for disobedience. Let me scare people again. Those who don't want to serve God, they're about to get scared. Those who want to serve God, no reason to be afraid. No reason. But those who don't want to serve, get scared and run. What is, the, what is the scary thing I'm about to say? To whom much is given, much is expected. So God does not understand any excuse you want to give. That you know all these, these daughters of Eve, they are too fine. That's why I can't control myself. God said, you are not only insulting me, no, you're not insulting yourself. You're insulting Jesus Christ. That you are saying because the daughters of Eve are too fine, that is why the blood of Jesus, the grace of Christ does not work in your life. To whom much is given, much is what? Expected. I now expect you to do better than David. I expect you to do better than Solomon. You should have more self-control than people who don't know Christ. There are many things that Jesus came to do for us. He gave us truth. For example, under the old covenant, you see it. 
And many religions, they still practice it. The women are inferior. One man said that any woman who wants to marry, who wants her husband to marry only one wife is greedy. I read in the papers that they are greedy. That God only entitles you to 25% of a man. So if 100%, you are a thief. Oyoshi. Why? That's the revelation he understands. But we understand, in Christ Jesus, we understand that male and female, they are the same in him. I hope you're getting my point here. We understand that in Christ, the body does not belong to the wife. Her body belongs to her husband. And the husband's body does not belong to him. His body belongs to his wife. Therefore, he doesn't have the right to take somebody else's property and do with it as he likes. Can you see what grace is doing for us? Let me say to you like this. Grace raised the standard. So he said, except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. So he said that thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, you have heard. Let me tell you what grace does. The thought of it alone must not enter your heart. Thou shalt not murder. That is the law. Grace says, sorry, you can't even hate somebody. That as far as I'm concerned, the hater and the murderer are the same. The one lost in his heart and the one committing adultery, they are the same. Why? Grace has come. And listen to me. Listen to what I'm about to say. Judgment is stricter, therefore. I hope you're getting my point. Grace has come, therefore judgment is stricter. So nobody should like, you know, I, I, I have to keep correcting the people of God. People have gone out to teach them, they're relaxed. No need to be afraid of God. There is no need. He loves you. Because he loves you, he has lost his sense of judgment. Because he loves you, he tolerates rubbish. You can slap him and deny him, your salvation is intact. I've, look, listen, when we're in school, you know, so, let me just say something for those of you who are listening to this. One day somebody was trying to explain these things to me. I said, like, please, listen to it. Let me explain it to you. I, I told the person, listen, you are talking as if I'm hearing this doctrine for the first time. Are you gonna, they want to sit you down and show that um, salvation, once you're saved, you're always saved, and this and that and that, that they explain, and quote a few scriptures. I said, listen, let me just say something. First, I, I, please, God help me. I try my best not to be arrogant, okay? I hope I can. But there's nothing you are preaching we did not hear 25 years ago. All these scriptures you are quoting, we heard it 30 years ago. We observed the results in the lives of people. It will not end well. What are you preaching we haven't heard before? You know, some people, they, they, didn't, they have not read, they started reading the scriptures like eight years ago. They now found one revelation four years ago. So, boom, they are exploding in their head. Yeah, yeah, see Rev, see Rev. There was sometimes some people say, hey, I'm just learning the gospel. Sorry, I try my best not to be too arrogant, but let's go help me. Eh? I said, like, you, learnt, you are learning this? I can still tell you when I read this from Watchman Nee. This thing you are excited all over. I am not saying that it's not good that you are learning it. But don't make it look like God just downloaded one revelation. We learned this thing to be complete in Christ. We learned it from, listen, I read Watchman Nee describe that thing. Around 1993. Which year are we in now? 
I'm sorry, 92 was when I read Watch Money, the normal Christian life. The day a friend of mine came from, he said, Banky, we need to talk, we need to talk. He showed me revelation. I was like, ah, what I, you know, I was waiting for the revelation. I said, you are just hearing this one. So all this while you've been serving God so he can approve of you. I learned it, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be arrogant. Two years ago, we learned this thing now, that we are not serving God for approval. We have been approved in Christ. Many revelations that are exciting people now, I look at them and say, please, brother, sit down, sit down. I see them tossing scripture up and down once in a while. My wife and I were there one day. We were chatting up and down. I sat with her. And they would talk one thing. I would, drop two, I would join my wife to drop two scripture. Put pin in their balloon. One woman talking, said, he said, okay. What about when he said in Hebrews that for those who have tasted of the good word of God and power to come, if they would drop back, there's no longer salvation for them. He said, let me not be as if I want to brag on what I know. My wife said, please brag. I want to learn. I'm going somewhere. There is nothing. I'm sorry to say it. Many people get excited about say this one. Can Hickey say something that does this? He said, we see these things come in cycles. They come, they go. They will die out. My problem, like I always say, don't let it carry you away with it. Like I tell young women, when they are preaching this doctrine, please, you run. You go for the conservative end. Believe that if you sin, you will die. Let the boys, because you are the one they used to do target practice. We saw the results. You are the one that will get pregnant. You are the one. You are the one they will embarrass. Listen, we've seen it before. I'm not telling you something that uh, uh, I'm imagining. We saw this thing never produces good results. It doesn't produce, it doesn't produce people that love God. If your scripture, your teaching was to produce people that love God and hated iniquity, I'll be happy with it. But you, have, you now produce people that are licentious. Who don't care about morality. Not telling me that it's revelation that produced that. That revelation cannot be true. That revelation cannot be true. If it was true, it would produce people who feared God and hated wickedness, who hated iniquity, that would not touch the unclean thing, that would come out from amongst them and be separate. I know why I want to do that. I've heard people say things like, ah, when you say, when Paul said, if we deny him, he will deny us. One brother went to school, you know what he said? that Paul had not yet entered into a realm of revelation. I'm telling you the truth. The story I'm telling you happened 1990. Which year are we now? 30 years ago, is what I'm telling you. When his friends say, listen, this is what you are preaching. Let's read the Bible. See what he said, no. That there's a realm of revelation Paul, that Paul was still in the realm of sense. That when he entered into, you remember your friend? He's dead, fornicating. He said the girl who's accusing him, her problem was what? She was not in the spirit. If she was in the spirit, she won't see any fornication. She'll see people who were rumoring in the spirit, who were connecting with God. Hallelujah. Listen to me. God will have to strike you so you stop this nonsense. The Lord is good. I just went into that trying to explain a principle. So let's drop that doctrine. It's not true. The doctrine that tells us the God of the old covenant is the the God of the new. It's not true. It's the same God. It's the same God. It's the same God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He has always been merciful. Moses, when Moses asked him, give me a revelation of yourself, the Lord God 
mercy, abounding in loving kindness or mercy. That's what he said. He said he will extend his mercy to a thousand generations. And he was talking in Exodus. So don't give me the impression that God was not merciful until now. But the second side, which I'm trying to summarize again, is that just as he was just that time, and he was a judge that time, so he is still today. It is not true that Ananias did not become a believer and that his wife, Sarah, was not a Christian. It's not true. That is just what happens when holiness is intense in an environment. That's what happens. When the glory of God is present, that's what happens. If it was like, why, if it wasn't possible for people who are Christians, you understand my point, to be sinning and be judged, why, Paul, why would Paul say, come out from amongst them and be separate and do not touch the unclean thing? That's number one. Number two, why did Paul say, judge yourself so you will not be judged? You know what your friend said? Apostle. He said that man that Paul cast over to, the, the, to Satan, that he was not a true believer. That's why Paul was doing that to him. When we, ha- you know, when we created our own doctrine, and when the Bible is against it, we have to find a way to explain it. But the man saw that God can be harsh against his own people. He said, no, those people are not Christians. Ananias was not a believer. And his wife was not a believer. But unlike some people, what I learned from my Bible, if you see harsh judgment in the New Testament against people, they were all Christians. When he says that Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, God will pay him according to his work. That guy was a churchman. He was a churchman. He said, these ones I have given over to Satan so they will learn not to blaspheme. They were Christians. Why would we be talking blaspheming if he's inside church? If those guys were not believers. Let me just tell you something. It will shock many people when I say this. When Jesus sent a message to Jezebel in Revelation, we don't know whether that was a person's real name or not, we don't know. But that individual was a Christian. Because it was a letter to the churches. You think Jesus does not know those who are his? He will be writing a letter to the church. And warn him and, <laughs> and giving an unbeliever in church time to repent. What kind of joke is that? Did he not say, listen to this. He said, you tolerate that woman called Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, a prophetess, and therefore makes my what? My servants to commit immorality. You know that's what he said. He said, I will cast her on the bed of affliction and those who commit it with her. He said the way his what? His servants. No, let's read it. Let me just get that. Let me quote that, that thing correctly. Quickly go to Revelation chapter. That will be two or three. You know, this feel good gospel. It's a bad thing. Chapter uh, two, verse um, 10, thereabout. Now, for time's sake, I'll just jump down to that. Verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray, so that she com- they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, 
And she does not want to repent of what? Not unbelief, immorality. <laughs> Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Do you see that? I did not complain that the problem was about his servants. He now said, those who are joining her, they are going, I will throw them into what? Great tribulation. Maybe if it's Old Testament, we say, I will allow them. Now, this is Greek, have you? We can't use the word allow. He said, I will throw them into great tribulation. Unless they repent of her deeds. Listen, my people, people of God. You know, when the word of God starts coming forth like this, I just perceived that as I was about to speak. I'm not telling you I'm a prophet, so I'm telling you what will happen tomorrow or not happen tomorrow. But I have understanding. When the word of God starts coming forth like this, you know what it means? The time is short. The time of the fulfillment of his anger against iniquity in his body is short. It's just around the corner. It's like telling Nineveh, 40 days and that's it. You guys are toast. Like I was saying on Tuesday, there are young ministers that God is saying, you, you have one week. Tomorrow is Sunday, right? He said, tomorrow is your last day. That is, you can't lie tomorrow. You have mounted the pulpit for the last two years to collect seed that did not send you. Seed that has not germinated. You know, you've been milking these people. I shut down church because of people like you. And for many young ministers... I don't know, my mind just been on young, young, young. Yes, I know why. Because old prophets have been lying to you. You will mount the pulpit again tomorrow to do the deeds of the old prophet, the bidding of the old prophet, rather than the bidding of God in heaven. Listen, many of you, if you will, God make sure you are hearing this today. So that even tomorrow, he will judge you if you dare step on that pulpit and lie against his name. You have raised money enough. I don't want to hear claim about money in your mouth again. You have lied to these people enough. You have promised them things I did not promise. If you mount that pulpit tomorrow morning and lie one more time, you will not live till evening. Your people will be discussing whether you went to hell or heaven. Me and you will discuss that one privately. But on this earth, I withdraw you. You must understand that your life must not be leading people astray. You have caused people to trust in a lie. A young woman was sick, severely sick, having a serious form of cancer. Somebody sent a message. How, what can she do to be healed? One of our brothers said, listen, tell her that she should come close to the Lord, pray, and study God's word, and feed herself with the word of God. Let me add my own words. Paradventure, God will show mercy. Somebody took a message to her and said, please, oh, my brother is a Christian. He believes in the word of God. He said, I should tell you this, this, and that. He said, don't worry, I've already sown seed for healing. So that one sent another message. He said, tell her that the seed will not work. You think she, only she has a problem? The man who, you know some people, let me say something to you. I, I, God will not be just if he does not punish you. And you're a Christian, no? So that's why you run to a place where they are lying to you, that grace has covered your sins. God said, go and ask David. Go and ask David what I said to David. That because of you, my name is being blasphemed among the Gentiles. Go and ask David what I did to him. 
and I still loved him with all my heart. I took David, I squeezed him. I said, nevertheless, the sword will not depart from your house. And that child will die. That was what I told David. A man who I testified in writing. That is a man after my heart. I said the other day, the closer you are with God, the more afraid you should be. Not the one that just, hey God, are you at home? <laughs> just by the way, let me drop a word, okay? No, no, let me not drop that word. You know, because if we get into it now, <laughs> we'll get carried away. No, I will drop it. One of the things I teach my wife all the time, I say, you know, young marriage on this earth, very few of us, preachers, church people, husband, wives, understand what it means. One of the ways you know you don't understand it yet, both man and woman, okay, is if your wife wants to show you respect and you say, eh, I beg, let's be free. You don't have sense. And if you're a woman and there is a man on this earth, including me, if I'm your pastor, I teach you the word of God, that you respect more than that man that God gave you as a husband, you are confused. Use me to gauge how you treat your husband. When you see me, ah, pastor, good evening, sir. When you see your husband, husband, good evening, more, sir. <laughs> because his words are more powerful in your life than mine. One day, sometimes we carry these familiarities into a place. Uh, God, have you come? Sit down here, Dabi, I'm cooking. When I finish cooking, we'll talk. God is coming to see you in the evening. And we say it's fellowship, you know. We are sons. Amen. We are sons. We are not servants. Sir. We are sons. God said, I will spare them like a man spares his son that serves him. He said, this is the heritage of the servants of God. He didn't say of sons of God. He said, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you will condemn. He said, this is the heritage of the servants of God. For years, I struggled with that. I said, why will he say it's the heritage of servants, no sons? Because I was taught as a young believer, you know, praise God. David was a servant. Abraham was a servant. We, we are sons. You know, arrogance. We are sons. We are spoiled sons, lazy sons, useless sons. <laughs> Meanwhile, God had already put something inside for us. A man had two sons. Every time they tell you you're a son, ask yourself, which kind of son am I? The son that behaves like a servant is the one that will never be prodigal. The one that says, I'm a son, I have my right in this house. His life will turn prodigal. He will waste his inheritance. A time will come, he will be put with the pigs. That's where sons who don't serve belong. Any son that's bragging, I'm a son, I'm a son, you end up with pigs. You will feed swine. Hunger will destroy you. Listen to me. I said something before. If you like, I know you like feel-good message. Switch off. I won't flatter you. Because God will say, Banky, what were you doing when people were walking in equity like this? Let it be that tomorrow your pastor will confuse you in church. But it, at least, when you want to repent, you have reference. Because without words, you can't repent. Without words, there's no faith. Let me give you the words that will save your life. The, the, the angel said, Send for Peter. He will give you words by which you will be saved. I'm giving you the words that will help you change. I'm giving you the words that will help you repent. You're bragging about your sonship. is why you're not going to go anywhere. True sons, they lay down their glory. What happened to Jesus? He became obedient unto the point of death. 
He was a servant. How much sonly do you want to be more than the Lord Jesus Christ? Yet when he came down, he humbled himself. He went before the Father. He cried, the Bible says, with much, he prayed with much tears. To him was able to deliver him from death. And he was heard because he feared. This confidence we are developing is why we will not last. I thought about this. Those who fear to lose their salvation are the ones that won't lose it. But he that thinks he stands, let him fear, lest he falls. The poor not say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you say that fear is reverence, what is trembling? You know, we, talk, we twist the word of God until it has no meaning anymore. They say that you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't use a cane on a child. No, the rebuke is with words. You know, you chastise the child. Chastisement is with words. I say, have we gone insane? Words don't have meaning to us anymore. When the Bible says, he that the father disciplines is his real son. If you are without discipline, then you are bastards. They say discipline is words. As they are speaking words, that's discipline. I say, you decrease for head. I won't join in your madness. Turn life to a feel-good thing. This world is not feel-good. Paul said to Timothy, endure hardship as a true soldier. He said, suffer hardship with me. Endure hardness. That's what Paul said to Timothy. I want to preach a gospel where everything is sweet, 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 sweet. The lie that time, that Paul was walking. Listen to me, people of God. Fear God, though. Fear God, though. Judgment will begin on the pulpit of God. Though. I didn't say house of God. I said where? Pulpit. I, he said, the Bible says house, I know. But when he enters the house, it doesn't be, 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 begin everywhere. It begins from here. You know, some of you, I was warning you earlier. I hope you are still there. You have not tuned out. If you tuned out, you are tuning out into the damnation. I hope you know. You are tuning out into the judgment. I hope you know. I know you are tuning out so that you will not be saved. Like the man that Kenegin told us about. He said, come and listen to me. Kenegin begged this man. He was his own host. Because God has said to him, this man will die if he does not listen to you. Because he needs to repent. He begged the man. He said, don't you know you are going to die? The man said, I know now. But if I come and listen to you, I will have to admit that you are right and I'm wrong. That's what he told Kenahigin. It will be admitting that you are right and I'm wrong. And I'd rather die. Seven days exactly after, he mounted the pulpit to open his Bible. He collapsed there and he died. In fact, that man was a prophet. When he left that church, he went to another church. He told the next church pastor that he went to. He said, the church I'm coming from, write it down. The man will die on Sunday next week. He said, that one became alarmed. That what kind of crazy man have I brought to my church? News came to them after that Sunday. The man stood on the pulpit to take announcement and he collapsed. I keep on referring to that story you told me. The man was doing something with the word of God. Another man of God said, what this man is doing is wickedness. You can't be making people hope in what God doesn't want them to put hope in. Because he's bringing you money. You said that thing to me. I don't think it was up to six months. Definitely not up to six months. The man put his head down and died. And when I heard the story, I remember what you said your friend said. That what this man is doing is wickedness. That God of the Old Testament, the same God you are serving now, 
the God that when he wanted to deliver his people, he sent one angel to go and kill 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. They're talking about coronavirus, coronavirus. I tell Christians, look from above. Stop looking from beneath. The today I was seeing, I was seeing analysis of why this thing has refused to kill so many people in Nigeria. <laughs> and I said, you know, Nigerians don't know the meaning of social distancing. They don't know it. They, 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 they don't know it. You know, Oyembo man has been distant for a long time, so he's easy for him. <laughs> Our whole, we are not used to being distant. First, we live in overcrowded houses, neighborhoods that people, the streets are jammed. Like somebody said that all this coronavirus. Things, uh, 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 what they call it, control measure. He said it's for rich people, though. To sanitize your hand. He said, who will pay for the sanitizer? <laughs> he said, wash your hand often. He said, with which water? They said, for 30 seconds, preferable under running water. The man showed where, where people live in sharks. He said, where's the running water? He said, lockdown, so that hunger can kill them. People that end, if they don't work today, they can't eat tomorrow. Yes. He said, these are rich people's control measures. Why am I saying it? We couldn't do all of it. You know what they said? <laughs> the governor said, no movement across the borders. Some security men have finished their house now. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they said, no movement about the, across the border. They said, praise God. I couldn't buy roofing sheets before. Each day, they buy at least two bundles. People want to cross the border. No course. Somebody told me that one security man said, 3,000 naira per head. So look inside the vehicle, 10 people. 30K people want to cross. Now, I'm not here to indict security men or laugh at our country, but with all of that, nothing. What am I going to say? You should know when God is blowing mercy in your direction. Mercy. 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 He's blowing mercy in our direction. Let's acknowledge him. Oh, that's what I'm going to explain. I'm not trying to mock anybody. One day, man doing one job for me. I said, oh, but how come you have not delivered my work? He said, oh, guy, they're on the chair. I said, ah, but people are not supposed to be able to travel. He said, I have something to do. <laughs> and he said, I will come back tomorrow. <laughs> that is. <laughs> for those who don't know, that's another, bo- that's another state. And the borders are supposedly locked. Shall I say, all oh, those are our isolation centers. We'll use them for Thanksgiving. Yes. Oh, we'll do one better. We'll thank God. What am I going to say? Christian, learn to look at things from above. That's the point I'm making. God, listen, I didn't even get into that one. I don't even know what I was trying to say there when I got it. You know, if you just keep on preaching. Listen, when things happen physically, we know they have spiritual reasons. We know they have spiritual reasons. This one that's on the earth right now is a warning. Churches don't like to preach it, they want to be politically correct. No, we, we like a God that does not hurt people. When tsunami hits, we start explaining to them, it's the devil. It is not the devil. Where did you see your Bible? Where is it? Tremble, O earth, before Satan. Tremble, O earth, before the Lord. If you see the earth shake, don't call Satan's name. He doesn't have that power. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. He said, what about Job? When you quote Job for me, I said, did you read the whole book? When Job made it clear, when the book made it clear, there was nothing Satan could do to Job. 
until God said, I have given into your hands. Except God gives into his hands, he can't do anything. I saw the man of God saying, one preacher saying, that this is the devil, he's just trying to do catch up, that God has won, amen, that is making it look as if the devil brought coronavirus. But God already has a solution. I said, so why did God not put the solution before the thing came? You want to hear the truth? No, I don't want to be popular. The devil himself is afraid of coronavirus hiding. He's not the one. God said, I have a reason to judge the earth. And I'm saying to the people of God again, preach it to the people of this earth. That repent or you will likewise perish. Two calamities happened in a short space of time. And they ran to Jesus to tell him, listen to what happened. Some people went to sacrifice. Pilate killed all of them and mingled their blood with that of their sacrifices. Jesus did not say Pilate is a wicked man. These headsmen are wicked people. Boko Haram is wicked. Jesus didn't say so. He said, do you think they are the worst of sinners in Jerusalem? He said, let me tell you. What he was saying is that there's a reason why God showed you mercy. He said, your mercy will soon run out. He said, except you repent, you will all likewise what? Perish. For your information, exactly what happened to them 40 years after. The rumors arrived again with the same swords and slaughtered everybody, mingled their blood with their sacrifices, with that of their animals, and wiped out the whole city. The only survivors were those who heard Jesus earlier and left when the armies began to surround Jerusalem. He never blamed Pilate, never blamed the devil. He said, except you repent, you will likewise perish. They came and said, ah, some people were walking up, and the, pool, the, the tower fell down and killed them. He said, except you repent, you will likewise perish. Oh, Jesus said, if buildings collapse, it's iniquity. It is sin. Listen to me, people of God. There is no death that's an accident. There is no death that is an accident. None. Life is too precious. God didn't leave the giving and the taking of life to accidents. No. It is too precious. If a car crashes, and out of ten people inside the vehicle, three die, those three, their names were recorded. And they said, on this day and this day and this day, these three people shall die. When Ophni and Phinehas has died, the prophet had told Eli, this is a sign. Your son, Ophni and Phinehas, on the same day, both of them will die. Told them. He, told, he told him ahead. Who will entice Ahab to go to Ramos Gilead and perish there? And Ahab died by accident. Let me say to you, listen to me. I gave a word at the beginning. I'm repeating it again. I'm more convinced of it. In this season, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved from this epidemic. Just say, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Even if you are terminally ill, you will get well. Amen. One of my classmates is a doctor in, I think, Canada or United States. Once I was asking a question, that, ah, they are seeing some very healthy young people. They will catch this disease. They think they will recover. They will just suddenly die. No, nothing. He said, what's going on? I said, ah, the spirit of death does not care whether you're healthy or not. If he has your name, you're gone. 
But if an angel had gone out and smacked in the faces of people that God would deliver, if the, if, if the demon of bottomless pit comes by himself, he can't kill you. Life is not a game of chance. Death does not happen by accident. Accident may be used to execute the sentence of death, but it's never an accident. It's decreed. It's decreed. It's decreed. The names are written. They are compiled. When the spirits of death will go out, they target people. They say, this one, you can afflict him, but he must not die. This one, you can afflict her, but she must not die. This one, affliction or no, kill her. Kill him. What am I saying? Let's warn the world. Let's tell them them the truth. Our God judges. He kills people. I think I have that assignment from God. God said, go and introduce me properly. They've given my glory to the devil. I will kill somebody. They say it's the devil. So his partners will not repent. They will now be rebuking. 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 Like I say all the time, people are rebuking when they should be repenting. When you have rebuked something three times, you just say, wake up. Say this thing that is stronger than the power of the, the, power, power of the name of Jesus. Get on your knees and pray. Say, Lord, what are you saying? Are we expressing your judgment? Are we expressing your anger? Listen to me. What have I said so far? The God of the old, of the former times, and the God of the present time, they are the same. He is the same God. He has not changed. If you want to see his mercy, you will experience it. If you are a gluten for punishment, he has abundance for you. If you want his mercy, you repent. Listen to me. There is no God that is alive that the world will treat like they've been treating him and he will not answer. Let me tell you something. You think Europe think they have seen death. They haven't seen anything yet. They have seen nothing. Coronavirus was sent by God. Listen, if you want to argue that it's Satan, please switch off. I don't have your time. Coronavirus was sent by God. Not these people that don't know the Bible. They, don't know, they read only half of the Bible. They say they are wordites. They, they are very annoying. Some of them have never read this Bible. They don't know anything. Tell them, quote two verses for me from Genesis. The only one they know is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Shikana. Now we're giving you quotation about God allow. God did not allow. Nonsense. I say, if now only allow, God they allow. Is he not guilty? Conspiracy to commit, is that not a crime? There was one I saw the other God said, I, even I, I do these things. I said, when he said I, even I, what more do you want? Emphasis, thank you. My God is merciful. He doesn't like to kill, but he kills. He does not like to condemn, but if you decide that's the way your life will go, he will oblige you. Listen, that's what, this is what God is saying to this earth. God arose and said, listen, let me warn people that their power is nothing. You know, this thing broke out in December, right? End of November, I preached that God will soon judge every high thing that is lifted. What God has just done so far is to remove people's confidence. People are waiting, vaccine will come, vaccine will come, vaccine will come. God said, don't just, don't hope in it. I told you before, this is not the first coronavirus. Listen, I'm talking to you now as a, an enlightened person in the field of medicine. I'm not talking that people don't know me. I know it. 
There are four coronaviruses that exist in human beings commonly that cause diseases. They are always there. Then, about 17 years ago, one showed up. It's called SARS. That's why they call this one SARS-CoV-2. That was SARS-CoV-1. That was just called SARS-CoV. Now it's called SARS-CoV-2. And that one, they call it MERS. Middle East Respiratory Syndrome Virus. Okay? Also a coronavirus. The vaccines for all of them have been near impossible. Disappointing results. But the good thing is that it dies out, so they stop. What I'm trying to say is that don't hope that human beings will solve this. If God gives them the wisdom, if God grants it, it might happen. But don't count on it. He may not. He may refuse. There are times he will just refuse. Say, no, I won't give you vaccine. Do you know how long HIV has been there? Till now, no vaccine. Oh, people think that doctors always get it right. Scientists always get it. They don't always get it right. HIV has been ravaging since 1985. They first identified around 1983. The disease was described around 85. Which, how many years now? 30-something years. They've spent money. No vaccine works. None. They've used all kinds of methods. Exhausted in knowledge as of today. No vaccine till today. Influenza. Common flu. I was reading somebody speak yesterday. Say The vaccine that they use abroad is making matters worse for them. Does it work? It doesn't work. They give flu jabs to old people. It's been shown to the efficacy is doubtful. Tremble, O earth, before the Lord. Fear God. God is not a God of principles of prosperity. Some of us think that's the only thing Christianity is about, how to navigate and become prosperous. The church has not taught the world. They say that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New, does not do these things. It's not true. I don't want to look like I'm attacking anybody. Let me just say it straight. It is not true. The God of the former times, who one day said, I'm angry that I put man on the earth. Because the imaginations of his heart are evil constantly. Wickedness inside their hearts. Therefore, he called Noah. Let's wipe them out. That God did not ask Satan, are you interested? He said, I, I will do this by myself. He drowned everybody minus Noah and his household. That God is still alive and still behaving the same manner today. That God, that one day will show up and one third of the earth will disappear at his coming. That same God said, let me show people all over the world that the thing you trusted in cannot save you. He didn't give them a difficult disease. He gave a very weak one. Statistics still shows us till today that less than 1% actually die from coronavirus of those that are infected. Yet it's collapsing systems, especially in what we called advanced countries. And they began to prophesy that when it comes to Africa, Africa will not be able to stand. Africa said the, the Malu that doesn't have tail, God will drive his flies away. And God has been driving away the flies. And people are confused. What is going on? They say it is a heat. He said, but is there no heat in Iran? Is there no heat in Brazil? They say it is heat combined with humidity. Obviously, you have no answer. Now, listen to me. God arose to judge the insults against him. I hope you're getting my point. He arose to judge the insults against him. And what I want to say to you is this. If the insults do not stop, 
It will come forth with the second wave of judgment. Now, people said that uh, is a coronavirus second wave going to come. I as I was coming today, <laughs> I laughed. I said, if you know what is the second wave, it will be coronavirus. Everywhere, listen to my words. Everywhere that God has been insulted, where they have institutionalized, there is no God. He will arise and judge the people. And they will wish for the days of coronavirus. Listen to me. Come out from amongst them and be separate. If you are in a place where to mention the name of God is an offense. To say Jesus saves can land you in prison. Get out from amongst them and be separate. Because it shall come to pass that when God will arise with his judgment, none will be spared. Listen. If it is food that is driving you up and down, hunger will be better. Listen. There was a time God showed up. People said, let the rocks fall on us. What is my message? The God of today is the God of Noah. This, the flood of Noah will never cover this earth again. Do you know how I know? That God said, I won't do it again. But he said, next time I will burn with fire. Next time I'm showing up with what? Fire. You know, some of us Christians, we worship Europeans. We worship their country. Worship not America, then we'll say, we'll now raise our hands and, and want to pray, pray to God. Let me just tell you. God is God. He's the one that dashes people's prosperity. And listen to me, when they don't acknowledge him and they don't give him thanks, one day in his anger, he will vomit them out of their prosperity. When Israel came into the promised land, it was a land that was flowing with milk and with honey. Yet the land vomited up the inhabitants thereof. You know why? He said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So when the tenants of God annoy him, he ejects them. I told you I just want to spend a few minutes to explain that the God of the Old Testament is this the same God. People received mercy from him that time and they can still receive mercy from him today. The blood of Jesus paid for the sins of Adam, paid for the sins of David, paid for the sins of the people of God in the time of Jesus, and is paying for the sins of anybody who will believe. That's the point. It's not just they throw it away there, and it just washes away sins whether you believe or not. It's only active in the lives of those that believe. And there is no difference as far as God is concerned between believing and repenting. They go hand in hand. You can't say you have believed if you have not repented. Mm-hmm. Alright, let's get back to our teaching. I hope I have clarified that. I hope there's no confused person still there going around thinking they can be insulting God every day. I, I was saying something, there's no God that is alive. You'll insult like this for a long time, you won't answer. Right now, I have more reasons to preach the gospel. Because I want my children to be able to live in a, in a, in a, in a generation that is not under the wrath of God. Because he has no choice. He will pour forth his wrath if people keep on insulting him like they've been insulted. And then sometimes we pray, God have mercy, God have mercy. God, God says, listen, this is your call for mercy. It's getting too much. So what do you mean? When you ask for too much mercy and you're not doing any work to make the people repent. How do you th- so you're asking me to continue to have mercy so that iniquity can abound? When you ask for mercy, ask for mercy the proper way. After you've asked for mercy, I suspend the hand of judgment, go out and go and preach. 
Let's get back to our teaching. I've been trying to get back since, but this prophetic voice will not leave me alone. <laughs> Where were we? Yes, this is what salvation is. Let's get back to it. This is what salvation is. We read from Psalm 100, right? What did God say in Psalm 100? I said, well, I was going to pick, bring out two things from there. He said, know that the Lord himself is God. That's verse 3. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Why did I read that? I wanted to just emphasize to us again. We didn't come out of nothing. We discussed this extensively last time. We showed that even scientifically speaking, to say there's no God makes no sense. The best you can say, you can utter, if science is your issue, if science is the reason why you are saying what you are saying, the best you can utter is that I don't know what God is like or what they are like. You don't know whether it's one God or many gods. You can say, I don't know where to find him. I don't know how to locate him. But according to statistical probability, according to the laws of physics and biology, this life could not have come out of nothing. You can't tell me nothing, nowhere, for no reason, exploded and created time and matter. Because time began, according to them, from that explosion. And then that chaos, that immense chaos, that exceedingly great chaos that has expanded into a universe that is over 14 billion light years across in diameter. That immense chaos that was so intense, it can reach that, you know, that expanse. That chaos, one way or the other, managed to congeal into an earth. In the midst of that chaos, life came out and began to reproduce itself. If you want me to believe that, then I cannot understand why David said, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. You really need have to be a fool. But it would have made more sense for you to say, somebody started this, but we don't know how to find him. Some people started this, we don't know how to find them. We can't see them physically, but physics has shown us there are different dimensions in life. We know that simply by studying physical, physical sciences, physics. We know about quantum mechanics. We know they've shown us that realms exist. I told you about the law of supersymmetry. There are people like Kaluza and Co. were doing calculations. For you to know when you want to do normal calculations, it's two dimensions. When you became too intelligent in secondary school, they taught you quadratic equation. People like those guys were doing quadratic equation is calculating three dimensions. Those guys were calculating in eleven dimensions. And they were human beings. They understood that there are so many dimensions possible in this life. But we, humanly speaking, can only interact with three. So if humans can conceive of 11 dimensions, why can't God live in the 100th dimension? So is there God? At least scientifically we know it's a serious probability. To deny him, therefore, must be a deliberate affront on truth. David said, he said, know that the Lord himself is God. What was David saying? David was saying that the concept of God is not a religious concept. 
David was saying that the idea of God is not something that I need to introduce to you. You should have known him just by being alive, just by searching for him. All God wants, I said last time, is for people to just grope after him. To just say, where did I come from? Where did all of this come from? Where? That's just what he wants. This scripture was not telling us there is a God. No. He was telling Israel that your God is that God. I hope you're getting my point. David was not saying that, know that there is God. He said, know that the Lord who revealed himself to your father Abraham, that Lord who revealed himself to your father Isaac, that revealed himself to Jacob, he is God. And that's what we are saying as Christians. That you, you don't know how to find him. All right? So one day, he came down by himself and wore flesh and said, here I am. I hope you are getting my point. So Paul said, the thing that you worshipped as unknown, let me declare him to you. When Paul, uh, David was speaking here, he wasn't telling people there is a God. He said, you should know there has to be a God. Now let me introduce him to you. He said, the Lord himself is that God. That's what David was saying. Wasn't going to teach anybody that there is God. You know, that's why you didn't see the Bible say, you didn't come out of nothing, no. You didn't come out of nothing. God made you. No. There is a God. Let me explain to you. There has to be a God. No. You know how the Bible started? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He wasn't introducing God or that he's a creator. He was just telling him that he did it at the beginning. I don't know whether you are getting my point. <laughs> that is, God never made any excuses for himself. This is how things were. This is how they started. In fact, the proper Hebrew should be in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and it was void. And darkness was upon the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, he wasn't trying to argue who started it. He was giving you an account of how he did it. So he said, this Lord, he himself is the God we are talking about. He made us. We did not make ourselves. The concept of salvation is what I'm going to explain. Because we did not make ourselves. He said, I that made you, I have a plan. What is the plan? That every, now I want to modify the expression to make it easy so that we can save time. That every living person will consciously subject himself, herself to me. That every spirit will consciously subject itself to me. And how am I going to do that? My son Jesus will go out and everybody will become subject to him. And then he himself will subject himself to God the Father. I hope you're getting my point. So that God will be all in all. What is salvation? Salvation is that he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. And each one of us has gone his own way. Do you get my point? Rejecting submission to the son. He said, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and then you perish out of the way. What is that perish? It's called eternal damnation. What is that perish? It's eternal separation from God the Father. It is called outer darkness. Like I said, is there literal hell, a literal fire in hell? Sorry, please. I don't mean to get controversial, but just think about this for a moment. Is there oxygen in hell? Is there carbon in hell? Is there atomic reaction in hell? 
If you cannot answer that, so whatever fire is in hell or lake of fire cannot be exactly what we have in this physical realm. They are not roasting anything there. The fire doesn't even burn. Do you get my point? It just torments people. So what does that tell you? It cannot be the same fire as the one you and I have experienced with. It just cannot be. So why does the Bible call it fire? Because of torment. The kind of torment that is there. The closest thing on this earth that can be used to describe it is fire. There is no worse torment on the earth than separation from God. I saw one man yesterday. I don't know. I stumbled into his video. My wife and I had a very good laugh. We were watching it together. He was... (laughs) Sorry. Thinking about him, I'm just laughing. He has a job of insulting ministers that he thinks are doing what is wrong. He will list them. He said he wants to talk about 10 pastors blessed by Satan. (laughs) He's an American, and he has one Nigerian on the list. (laughs) He says, sorry, I may get the name wrong. My wife and I had a very good laugh. And he begins to criticize that I'm saying. That uh, somebody said that Jesus went to hell. And hell, he was born in, hey, Hinecom, that, you know, that's part, because it's part of the teaching in, you know, some of these um, teachings of redemption. People say Jesus went to hell for three days and all of that. So the, he was trying to argue that it's not possible. Jesus didn't go to hell to suffer. Now, this, that's why I'm talking about it. You know, that argument is unnecessary. What did I say? It's unnecessary. Do you know why? We know one thing for sure. There was a separation between Jesus and the Father. Because he said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? If you know the meaning of separation from God, the way Jesus understood it, you will know that is hell for him. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Arguing whether he went to this hell is irrelevant. He endured separation from the Father. And he said, was it for three days? Listen, David Paulson said something who many of us know died about two days ago. All right? It was 90 and about three months. He said, they said that the earth has been there for, you know, this number of billions of years. He said, you must understand, the principles of time is irrelevant. That God can create billions of years in one second. Now, when he said it, it hit me. Then why do you argue with people? And there's something in philosophy they talk about. They say, if a tree falls in the forest and, and there's nobody to hear it, does it make any sound? In the same manner, if there's nobody on the earth to count the time, how relevant is the time? So God can do like this. And part of what he created is called 14 billion years. I don't know whether you caught that. That is, he did this. In one instant, 14 billion years appeared. Because even science knows that time is a physical entity. It's a phys- just like you have length, breadth, you have mass, you have this, you have energy. One of the things they have there is called time. It was created. It began to exist. That's why Albert Einstein and co, they combine it. What they call space is also what they call time. So they call it space-time. No, when the person said that, do you know, I almost jumped out of my chair. He said, look, people want to think this thing happened over 14 billion years. His only is that you don't understand God. God can create 14 billion years. <laughs> He's, that's why the Bible says, with him, a day is like a thousand years. He can do this. Bam, and that, that, that is, I've seen people say that, you know, evolution, creation, God said, listen, when I do, mm, that's time. 
I just breathed out time. And I give you the particular quantity of time I want you to have. Look, God is great. Oh. Yes, sir. It's good you worship him, even though you don't know too much. But the more you know, the more you have to worship. Somebody discover something, say there's no God. No, the more I learn, the more I, I, I'm amazed at the greatness of God. So this God that made everything. He made us, he made you, he made me. He has his plan. And what is hell? That's what I'm talking about. It's torment. It is torment. It is separation from God. And what is salvation? It is eternal unity with God. Something that you do consciously, deliberately. That's why you are told, give your life to Christ. Jesus never snatches your life. Listen, if you have given your life to Christ, you literally have been saved. The salvation is real. It's real. It is real. It is real. You are now one that can be found with God eternally. So that there will never be a difference between your thoughts and his thoughts. What God is doing is killing all rebellion. All rebellion. That's why he's going to take the devil and his angels all the demons, and put them in that eternal separation from God, having effectively killed all rebellion. That is what salvation is. That's what we are preaching. That is what salvation is. Now, well, what are we saved from? For time's sake, let me just introduce that again. They will continue. That's what we ended last time. We are ending there again today. We will now continue to explain it. We've got to give us the privilege next time. You see, the Garden of Eden really happened. But the story of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is what we need to explain. For time's sake, I won't read it today. I will just remind us of what it is. You know the story. There was a tree. I like the way Paulson explained that. Was it a literal tree? Of course, I believe it was literal. There's no reason to think it wasn't literal, but it was sacramental. That is, there are things, for example now, the body of Christ. You take the body, the bread, and the wine. That sacrament, it, it speaks for something deeper than the physical elements. Those who did not eat it properly, Paul said, they ate damnation unto themselves. He said, for that reason, many of you were sick and many died. And they were sharing bread and wine. Bread and wine was what they were sharing. And Paul said it clearly. They did not rightfully descend the body of Christ. They took something that was physical and they ate judgment on themselves. So church people began to fall sick. And some became so sick, they died. Why? They did not rightfully handle what was physical. So was there a tree in the garden? Yes. But that tree spoke heavily. He spoke heavily. You know, I don't know who told me the story. So one of you here may be the one told us, I can't remember, of somebody who wanted to get a job. Beautiful, well-paying job. And the men were going to, who were going to give him the job said, all right, all you need to do now, they all took a drink from a bottle of wine. They didn't pour it into a glass. They took the wine, put it in their, in their mouth, and drank it. I don't know the person, but I heard the story. And he said, all you need to do is drink it. And the job is yours. And the man said, I'm sorry, I'm not drinking. And the men insisted. And he also insisted. And you must understand, we're talking about 
correct paper. You know, job that when they are late or the salary enters, your phone will vibrate even though you didn't set it on vibrate. <laughs> if it's email alert, the server will shake. <laughs> and I told the young man, a woman, I think it's a man, we've all drank from this bottle, straight from the bottle. You two drink. He said, sorry, I'm not drinking. And they insisted, and he also, he refused. When my wife told me about it, now I said, that's when you understand the meaning of the word communion. Even though it is food, it's something physical. You are entering into something spiritual. You are entering into something spiritual. I thought about it. I still meditating about some things about those, in those areas. Sacramental things on this earth, they are very, very powerful. Sex is sacramental. They use it to grab men. You know, let me just drop it for those who are listening to us. A woman that is not your wife offers herself to you freely. And you were foolish enough to collect. Oh, my God. That's your for you stupid, though. You really are very, very stupid. They just, hang, they just sank a hook into your soul. Just dropped a hook into your soul and walked away. Just drank, they just they took a hook, put it into your heart, and they walked away. They go there and start controlling you like a puppet. I don't have time to be teaching about the power of witchcraft. It exists, too. And it's not your auntie in the village. Honestly. Any of those witches walk in your office, if you see their makeup, severe. <laughs> looking very, I'm telling you, looking very nice. <laughs> when they tell you, say this guy now, which you will not believe it. Some of them go to church. Some pastors, they can't preach the truth. Do you know why? They slept with a witch and she's in the choir. She's spiritual. She leads. I just want to be where you are. Dwelling daily in your prayer. <laughs> Pastor cannot give one true revelation again. But once the guest sits down, she's pulling him. She's tugging him. Listen, Pastor, if you are married, go and meet Madam. Go and call your, all your elders. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Say, Madam, I won't do it again. I did it before. I'm no longer worried to be called thy husband. Speak the word only. If she forgives you, automatically it's broken. If you are single, don't go to your pastor, to any woman. Call the elders of the church. Say, Mugwe, Egba Mio. Waladi, Yaje won't kill me. Moje so none. I'm pretty for you, Kate. I chop with you and not supposed to chop. The elders will forgive you on behalf of the Lord. It's broken. So in the garden, it really happened. Eve took the fruit, ate the fruit, and gave to her husband. And automatically, they became enemies of God. That was why they needed redemption. And if you are living your own life, by your own principles, which was what Eve and Adam did, saying they will become like God, knowing good and evil, that is, being the deciders of their own destiny. 
then you need redemption. You need salvation. What is salvation? It's deliverance from independence from creator God. That's why we start from Psalm 100. This God, this Lord is God. He made you, you did not make yourself. If you have been living apart from him, you are preparing yourself for eternity away from him. And you don't want to think about it. I'm watching my time. Let's leave it there and pray. Let's just give the Lord thanks for truth. Let's give the Lord thanks for truth. It's liberating. Let's give the Lord thanks for truth. Liberating truth. And listen, if you are listening to me, wherever you are listening to me from, and you have not given your life to Christ, please do that now. What does it mean to give your life to Christ? It just it simply means to say, Lord, I will serve you. And if you have been believing the wrong doctrine, walking in sin, they tell you you are saved. Please, it is time to repent. 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 The unbeliever, you need to accept Jesus today. The Christian that has been living in sin, it's time to repent. Say to him, Lord, have mercy on me. I believe they lie. I believe they lie. Lord, have mercy on me. I walk away from sin from today. I will no longer think that because of grace I can walk in sin. Grace is my empowerment not to walk in sin. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. If you are not a believer, say, Lord, from today, I feel for you. I move towards you. Draw me close to you. Pull me in. Have mercy on me. I know I couldn't have come out of nothing. It's not possible. You are God. You are God. You are God. Have mercy upon me.